Praise God. It's good to be in his house, isn't it? It's good to be together. And I'm just so thankful for him. Aren't you so grateful and thankful? I was just sitting with the Lord yesterday, just going through my notes. And every once in a while, I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but I just feel like we all are desiring this. But I just feel like the Lord was just in my room with me. He was in my office, and uh, I tried not to do anything. I just tried to just be there with him. And I don't quite know what he was changing and rearranging in me, but I just know his presence was there. We need to let him do that. Amen. And then I don't try to be weird about it. You know, I went up and carried on with my day. But we need to be in his presence much more often than we realize. I've been preaching to you that that's really what it is. I just want you to say that right, right off the bat with me out loud. The purpose of my life is to know him. Let's just be reminded again. This is part three of the sermon series that I've just been preaching here of Are We Ready? And I'm going to get into some different things today, but I want to firstly say this. That when he created you, it was not for you to fulfill some sort of purpose or plan and some sort of dream. You need to be very careful of your dreams. Your dreams are dangerous. The Bible says that your heart is exceedingly wicked. And really without fully knowing him, without taking your dream and really sacrificing it at the cross... Really, just as we come to repentance, without laying it down before the Lord, it's dangerous uh, because what happens is, is you know, the, the, we have multiple things happening, but just firstly, the devil would love to, to have your dream come to pass and bless you, right? Who has seen the world be very blessed? There's many, many, many in the world that are, they're so rich that it's not even money anymore. They call it liquid. Everybody ever heard the term liquidity? And what that term means is that they could never spend their money as much as they try. They actually make more money than they could spend even if they wanted to. That's real. And, do you, and, and, and yes, there are some of those that, that there are people even on that level that do know the Lord. But that's not it, is it? Obviously, because just using some common sense and some, uh, just open your eyes and look at their lifestyles and the things they believe and the things they do with it, you can easily see that they're obviously not following the Lord, right? And that's going to be between them. And, you know, that's, that is between them and him at the great white throne of judgment. I know that. I'm just making an observation telling you that, that that's not it. So you fulfilling your dream, going out and running and racing and doing and being, that's not it. It's really only in knowing him that then he takes what may not be, he might scrap it all completely. Who's heard stories of people that went to go become doctors and then they became missionaries? I've also heard the other side. They thought they were a missionary, but God was calling them to be a doctor. And so you can't just go out and try to fulfill some sort of heart's desire and think that you're accomplishing or doing anything. You're building a sandcastle. And the Bible says it will be washed away just as sand is washed away. But I want to be founded on the rock, amen? And we know who the rock is. That is Jesus Christ. It is the only foundation, Paul says, that we can build on and that will last into eternity. Who wants your works to last into eternity? Who, wants to, who likes wasting time? I have a few pet peeves. 
Man, one of my pet peeves, man, one way you can really get under my skin is waste time. You waste my time, man, I have to really just deal with that. Now, I'm not talking about spending time with people. That's not wasting time, okay? That's the kingdom of God. I just mean I've done all this and done all this work, and it was all for a waste of who knows why. It doesn't really matter. That'll really bother me. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I wasted my life for nothing. Now the Lord loves me. Now I'm in heaven. Okay, he wipes away the tears, but what a waste of the time that I had here, and who wants to do that? None of us here. Our goal in life is simply to know him. That's what you were designed for. I just want you to say it again. I was designed to know him. Only in knowing him can we accomplish or do anything that matters and then the lord can use you you know there are people i just heard that the guy who created the mri machine who's thankful we have things like mris you know we're always like lord why have you healed us and then sometimes it's like well i did i create the guy's a christian and he even said he was a testimony he said god gave me the idea He'll tell you. I just heard, we just heard this the other day. God said he gave me the idea. He didn't say that it was in a dream or, you know, he wrote it all down in a vision. I mean, the Lord gave him knowledge and gave him research and things like that. But it was, a, it was an invention that didn't exist before. And so in knowing him, then you can be something in the earth. And God wants to use you for things like that in the earth. But it's really in knowing him that it matters. Now, the MRI, that's beneficial for us. But ultimately, in heaven, uh, if uh, someone in the world who uses the intellect that God, you know, the Bible says the gifts are without repentance. Anybody, everybody ever heard, right, that verse? That verse means that simply that God blesses each and every one of us when we're born, even we're born dual fold. Everybody say dual fold. That's a hard one to say. You're born with sin, a curse of sin, which we can repent for and come into Christ. And you're also born simultaneously with gifts and abilities. And some people use them for themselves, and some people sow them into the Lord and use them for him. And so we can get to eternity, and the same guy could, could have used his gifts and abilities without knowing God. And now, you know, he saved people on the earth, but now him, he's just him, it's just him and God at the great white throne of judgment. You hear what I'm saying? Even somebody who does great and mighty things in the earth, at the end of the day, it'll just be him and God, and God's going to say, I don't know you. I want to know him, and I want to do what pleases him. Everybody, I want you to say this out loud. I want to please him. Who wants to please our master? You know, it's this interesting thing. I don't know why, but there's this something in our DNA that we want to please our parents. And it's almost, it's weird. It doesn't ever change, right? If your parents are still alive, mine are, but something in you, even as you get to be an adult, if they're still alive, something in you is like, you know, if your father was to recognize something you did, I don't know why it matters. Because you like you know you're still self-confident, you got your own life, your own family, but somehow that means something. And I think it's because the Lord put something into our DNA. See? There it is, right there. Everybody's like, you know, uh, 
God's not real. Well, maybe God should show himself. God does prove himself all the time, right? How about a baby being born? Kind of miraculous, huh? And so in the same way, there it is written into our DNA, what was supposed to be there all along, this desire in you to feel joy, to feel satisfaction when your father is pleased with what you've done. You know, even I've heard, you know, uh, someone maybe was adopted or maybe abandoned, but something, some sort of desire in them wants to seek out that parent. You know, there's like this immense desire. Why? Because that's the spiritual thing inside of us that is trying to find our heritage, our, our point, our reason. What brought me here? Why am I here? And I'm going to tell you the answer. It's very simple. It's to know God. And only in knowing him is to then bring him pleasure. We want to please God on the earth. And so I just want to say to you, are we ready to be weighed on the scales? Are you ready to have your works tried? If the Lord were to try you today, if the Lord says, okay, I want you to show me everything you've done with your life, now's the moment. I mean, right now, it is 11.43 or so, 42. Now's the moment, and I want you just to lay it all out. Give me your life. We're done. Moment's over. Show me what you've done with your life. Are we ready to have our lives weighed on the scales? And I've been preaching these last couple weeks that what if the Lord wanted to show up now? What if he showed up? What if he wanted to do something? What if he said, I want to use your life now? Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to give our lives fully to him and be used by him now? Or do we feel like we needed to get a whole bunch of things in order first? And the Bible is very clear. Firstly, let me say this. You could never get anything in order for his salvation. This is not about salvation. You can never be good enough. You can never earn it. You can never, he's never going to love you more. This is not, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about our response to his salvation. Let's say that out loud so we get that. It's our response to his salvation, right? What is my response? All right, he's already done it. He's already given it. I've already received it. What's my response? Is it just thank you for the happy meal? I'll see you in eternity, as I say often. Thanks for the ticket to heaven. I'll make sure I punch it when I get there. Or is it, Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for what you've given me. I'm thankful for every breath. I'm thankful for every gift and ability. I'm thankful, Lord God, that I'm walking into this room today, and then we have freedom here in the country still, and other countries are being forced uh, as Christians into, into hiding, and we have freedom. So we're going to come, and we're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. I'm going give to you, give you, Lord, glory, and I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to live my life to satisfy, Lord God, that desire that's in me, but you gave it to me to please you. I want to say that the entire Bible is really about the offer and the response. It's an offer and it's our response. And I told you uh, just simply, quickly, because I want to keep moving here, but Moses at the burning bush. The Bible says God appeared in a burning bush. But the Bible does not say that God said Moses, Moses, yet. He always says it twice, right? Moses, Moses. We laugh about that. <laughs> he does. It says it twice every time, though. But he doesn't say that he called his name first. He just appeared. The Bible says that Moses said, I'm going to turn aside. I must go and see. 
There's something happening in this moment. God's calling in this moment, even in this moment right now. The Lord's in a burning bush spiritually right now. Right in this time, 2023, the Lord's burning in a bush right now. And we can just breeze by and say, wow, look at that. That's amazing. And keep moving. Or we can stop and do like he did and say, Lord, is there something you want to say to me right now? Is there something you want to do in my life right now? Is this a moment that I need to just stop and listen and pay attention? Or should I just keep going and doing what I've been doing? And you know what the definition of insanity is, right? Everybody knows the definition. Just keep doing what you've been doing already. You're going to get the same result by doing the same things. But the Bible says that he turned aside. He stopped and he looked and said, there's something to this moment. And I've been meditating on this thought week after week now. Jesus in the flesh. Imagine Jesus just walks in this room right now. Now you need to realize he's in here. This is the thing. This is what our minds have trouble understanding, but he is in here. Okay, he is in here. He's here right now with us. That's what my word says. The Bible says, I will be with you always. Who believes the word more than you believe your senses? Do you believe your eyes or do you believe the word? You got to believe the word more than you believe your eyes. So he is here right now. He's just, he's preaching this sermon. You hear in my mouth, but he's the one speaking to you. But imagine he walked in in the flesh right now. And my Bible says that he walked through these crowds and people they were excited by all the noise. Man, they wanted, you know, everybody's racing to see a miracle, right? Even Herod's like, oh, you know, show me a miracle. I've been waiting to meet you because I just want to see what you can do. And the Bible says that few, like it says of us, broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, right? Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. There were only a few that actually said, wait a second, my busyness of my life, I've, I'm realizing it doesn't matter. The rat race I'm in, the struggles and the, the curse of this earth, you realize that you're living in a curse. The life you're living, the sweat of your brow, okay, the, the, the grime of life is a curse. It was not God's design. The Bible says to Adam, you will be cursed now. Now you're going to have to go out and work hard. You didn't want to trust me. Now you're going to have to go and make it yourself. And Jesus came and gave an offer and said, I will break that curse. It doesn't mean you won't sweat. That's not what I'm talking about. But you see a believer, man. You see a believer working for the Lord. They're still sweating, but there's a joy in their heart, right? The weight's the pressures, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in your heart. And I'm talking about the things of, of this earth itself. That will go too. That part of the curse is going to break too. Who believes it? Because we just read in Revelation last week. In the end, there's no sun because he's the light, right? There's no sweat because I'm not working, right? There's no hate because there's only love, right? There's only joy. There's only hope. The other parts of the curse, they will be fully broken one day, but within your heart, you can actually have it here and now. And just a few said, Jesus, I want that here. I want it now. I want you to turn with me into the, in the book of 2 Corinthians 5, and I want you just to look with me. I'm just going to go. I always promise quickly. I say quickly. It's probably my most common word of preaching because I'm trying. But the Lord has a, a few things to say today, I'm, and I'm going to just get it all out. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, We know that when we leave this earth, 
You're going to get a new body. God's going to give us a new body. And he says in verse 4, he says, it's not that I want to die. I just want my new body. Who's, who's with Paul? Right? It's not that we want to die, but I want eternity. Amen? We all do. All right? So he's, he's laying something out here in 2 Corinthians 5. He's laying something out. He's saying, God's going to give you, everything's going to be made new. Everybody say, everything is going to be made new. Praise God. So he's laying that out. And then he's saying, verse 7, you know this as faith is not, right? We live by faith, not by sight. It says, we live by believing and not seeing. So he's laying a foundation here saying, we know this. Who knows in your heart the Lord when he gave you salvation, is also one day going to come and get that broken, right? Getting older, getting achier body. I'm feeling it. They told me it would happen. I didn't believe them. And I'm feeling it. And I'm starting to, I'm, I'm like, okay, yep. It's getting, just starting. I know it's early. Just starting to get ready for that new body, Lord. I'm ready. But he says, and we know this. So, I, I, I can't see it yet, but I know that. That's my foundation. But then he says this. He says, verse 8, Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies than, and, and because we'd be home with the Lord. But then he says, verse 9, Whether we... I'm going to read this out loud. Ready, everybody? Let's just read it together. So whether we are here in this body, everybody let's say that again, in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Amen. You know, even, you know, the devil likes the Bible too. I know that's like, what? What'd you just say? He likes the Bible to try to trick people into belief systems that God didn't give them. And we know that because First of all, he twists the word with Adam and Eve, right? That's what he does. He's a twister. And then he came with Jesus in the three, deception, the three right, temptations of Christ, we call them. And he uses the word, but it was a twisting of the word. It was a truth, but it wasn't the whole truth. Amen? And so there's a truth that you're going to be in heaven with the Lord one day. Amen. There's a truth that, man, my, I'm going to get a new body. There's a truth I'm going to have a new home. There's a truth I'm going to have, I don't need to wear sunglasses because I've just got the glory of God. You know, I used to not wear them because I was like, if I needed them, God would have designed me with them. And then I realized, you know what, this is a curse. I'm just going to wear the sunglasses for now. One day I won't need them, right? Maybe you need real glasses, the same concept. So I believe that, and I know that, but, the, but my Bible says, come on, but our Bibles say that we're here for a season. He says, listen, I, I want to encourage you, but I also want to remind you that you're still here, that right now you are in that body, and it's here for a reason. Amen. Wow. Do you think it's going to be hard to please God in heaven? I don't think it's going to be hard because I'm not going to have any weird desires in me. I'm not going to have any junk in me, right? I'm not going to have any other will. I'm not going to have anything to build or do other than him, right? I mean, it's just what he's going to say, fine. You know, here's this solar system way out in space that, that, that science can't even see yet. I want you to go and do something over there. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, we can only imagine. Won't be hard to please God. 
We'll be in his glory and full glory, and we're not going to have any other junk in, in between. But he says, whether in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. And what does he say in verse 10? He says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Do you think you're going to stand before Christ and be judged after you live in eternity? Obviously not. What is he talking about? He's talking about there is a time for you to please God. You will automatically, let's just, let's just get this concept. In glory, your pleasing him will be automatic. If it was not, then you'd be with Satan. Right? Satan fought against God in glory somehow and fell. All right, we're, when we're in eternity, our glorifying God will be automatic. We're just going to be, my Bible says, the ultimate promise is come to life, and I've been preaching on that verse many times recently, but he'll be my God and I'll be his people. That's it. So the pleasing God is, is in the earth, and the judging must be from what I've done in that time on the earth. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in which body? In this earthly body. So again, my goal is to please him with this body. It's very, very subtle. And, when I, and I alluded to the devil giving partial truths. He loves the word to twist it. It's very subtle. But it is a deception of the enemy I want to warn you about. Maybe you already are fully aware of it. Maybe you've lived it. But here's the subtle deception that the devil does. He says, you got saved. You've already repented. You're going to heaven. If you're going to go to heaven no matter what, if it's already done and sealed, then what's it matter if you live a little bit here on the earth? Who's ever heard that deception from the devil? Maybe not in those exact words. I'm not saying that he says, go rob a bank. But maybe he's like, well, you don't need to see God today. You already know him. You don't need to see God tomorrow. You already know him. What happens? We were just talking about this the other day. You push it off a day. I know him. I'm going to be in heaven forever. I got all of eternity to worship God. I don't need to worship him here and now. Before you know it, it's been a year of your life, and it's in hell. And you're like, how to get here? And it's very easy, pleasing God became a secondary goal. And I want to show you now in the remaining min minutes that if you set pleasing God as your goal, everything else in your life gets into order. Nothing else, if you make it, a, even a, let's just say that I want to do this in my life and I want to please God. You even put something on par with God, you'll constantly find that the scales are, are going like this. You're pleasing God one day, pleasing yourself another, and you're going to find yourself very frustrated, in fact. The devil just wants, if he can't stop you from getting into eternity, because I'm talking to mature believers here today, right? This is a saved crowd. If I was talking to unsaved, it would be different. But you know the Lord, so I need to preach to you and warn you of his tactics. The Bible says, do not be unaware of the enemy's tactics of, of, his, of his devices, of his trappings. And I promise you that if you try to balance pleasing God with pleasing self, you will be frustrated, and that's what he wants. If he can't get you into eternity, into etern can't stop you from going into eternity, he wants a frustrated, miserable Christian on the earth, because then you're a really good light to those around you, right? You're a really good father or mother to your children, a really good person at work, right? We're not, are we? 
The Lord wants us free. He wants us filled with life. He wants us filled with joy and peace and hope and strength and endurance, steadfastness. Why? For our own good, yes, of course, but also because we're lights in the world. And as soon as the devil can get you, even with a concept like I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus, he can twist it in a way, it's subtle, but twist it in a way to get us to be like, well, in, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to live a little life. Who, can we just be honest? Has anybody ever thought like that? In those, maybe not those exact words. There are even sermons, and I'm not even going to go there, that encourage you to do so, but we're just going to leave that there. The Bible says, verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility. Everybody say that out loud. Fearful responsibility to the Lord. Fearful? Fear God? Fearful responsibility. Now, who's afraid of God? I'm not afraid of him. But who was afraid of your dad when you were a kid? Well, it used to be that way. Now you might get sent to the corner. A lot to be afraid of there. Oh, boy. Can I bring my iPad? Anyway, I used to be afraid, too. But it was good fear, wasn't it? I knew he loved me, but I was afraid for a good reason, because I was a bad kid. Come on, we're not afraid because we're good. You guys get this concept. Fearful does not mean I'm afraid of God. It means I understand he's God. I've got a certain amount of time on the earth, and he has certain things that he wants me to do in that time. Amen. Fearful responsibility to the Lord. It says, so we work hard. Everybody say, so we work hard. It's in response to him giving us responsibility. So, and he says, uh, he goes on to say, we're just going to breeze into this, but just says, uh, verse 15, he died for us so we can receive this life. Verse 15 says, it says, he died. Everybody say, he died. And it actually gives us not maybe the single purpose of his death, but he's literally giving us a definition of his death. It says, he died. When it says he died, it's going to tell us why. For, he died for, implying what? That what I'm about to read is tied to what? The reason he died. I can just see that within English, I know that what I'm about to read is tied to his death. He died for everyone, and there's another conditional word, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. You know, it is such a fine line between living for ourselves as Christians and living for Christ as Christians. But I'm telling you, you know that you're on the other side. It's very easy to know you're on the other side. There's a red flag. You find yourself frustrated and miserable. You find yourself not trusting him. You find yourself constantly getting into fear and worry. You have just entered, even though you're a believer, into a life of self it is a fine line, but it's the, en the enemy wants to get you there so that you don't truly experience, and, and it really affects your relationship with him. 
Because now you think he's doing something, he's doing it to you. We must realize that living for Christ, living for him, and self being, it can't even be second. Self has to die. If you truly believe the word of God, with Romans 6, Colossians 3, and other verses, other chapters, it's very clear that self has to die. There's a spiritual death of self. That, that my desires, my plans, my will literally dies with Christ on the cross. And then again, I want to say it again. Don't get confused and think, well, now what do I do? Does that just mean I'm, like I, I, I'm just a pastor now on a Sunday morning? Is, is every single person in this room like I need to quit their jobs and just preach? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying your will, your desires, your plans, all of that is, is gone. And now you are approaching your day as Christ's servants. He's the center. He's the focus. I just want to please you today. And now you can do the same exact job, unless it's a job of sin. Let's say maybe you were robbing cars. Maybe you're not going to do the same job. But you can go do the same job now and say, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this to please him. I'm going to be a light at this job. You know what? I've been feeling frustrated. I've been feeling miserable. And I think it's because I've been thinking I need to achieve something. You know what? I, the Lord gave me a vision one time, and I think it'll maybe help you here today. We think we need to accomplish and achieve, and you don't. That's the world. Now, we need to please God, and he says, I work hard to please him. But you don't need to achieve. You know how the world judges results. God is judging the action. God's results won't be seen in the earth. They'll be seen in eternity. But we want, unless we feel like I'm seeing some sort of results from my achievements, right? I'm like, I'm burning rubber. So the Lord gave me a vision. You know what he showed me? An ant farm in someone's living room. Man, they're so diligent, working so hard. And the Lord says, look at the ant. The Lord honors them. The Lord's honoring them. I'm not saying that he's not telling you to work hard, but you realize you're building an ant farm. That everything we're thinking, we're trying to achieve. Solomon, go, just read the book of Proverbs and then read Ecclesiastes. It's a little depressing, but it brings some revelation back that all of your achievements, you know what he says? You do all this and then what? You're just going to give all your inheritance to somebody else and they're going to squander it. You've worked so hard for a name that what? Listen, all the people that fought, in the Civil War, all these statues, you know, it doesn't even matter what side they were on. They thought they were standing for their principles. And what do we do? You know, the future generations like, forget history, whether it's good or bad. Let's just tear the statue down. And the names get erased. Nobody cares about you in the next generation. Nobody cares what you did. Nobody cares what car you drove or what house you lived in. Nobody cares. They only care now. Because you're asking them if they care. Maybe not in words, but are they looking? Are they thinking about it? Or are they trying to be like me? There's this, this, this demonic system of achieving that the devil wants to trap Christians in and is not from God. But meanwhile, you could look at a believer who's just as sweaty from hard work. Man, they are just going, going, going. But they, they're like, you know, I don't even know. 
I don't know what's truly happening in your hearts, for instance. I believe God's moving in here. But I'm going to see the results in heaven from eight years standing up here preaching. I mean, I can see some of the fruits now, but really we're going to see it in eternity. In fact, you can't even think about now. How many, ta- how many testimonies have you heard of a grandfather, right, who prayed, and it was, wasn't even until their grandchildren that did some of the things that they were praying for? Or we can read hundreds of years in the, in the Bible, their prayers. Your achievements on this earth are irrelevant. It's working for the Lord. It's working to please him. Wow, is anybody getting anything out of this today? I feel like the Lord really wanted to speak these things, and I just want to just quickly say this so that I can get the rest of these things out. But Paul says in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm not just boxing the air. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm like an athlete. And he says, I fear that if I don't give all, I'm just going to put it in my language, but he says it in verse 27. I feel like if I don't give everything I've got for the Lord, not for self, but I feel like if I don't do it, he says, I fear that after preaching to others, I, might, I myself might be disqualified. Paul came to a revelation in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that said, I'm going to just give everything I've got to the Lord. You know, the world will look at you and the world will think, man, what a loser. What a failure. They're like, I've got the big name. I've got all the stuff. Look at all my achievements. Look at you. Man, it's annoying being a Christian, huh? Imagine how much more money you could make on Sundays. Imagine you took all that sewing and all that tithing and you just bought yourself a boat every year or whatever. Meanwhile, all of their stuff, the Bible says, Jesus warns us. He's like, oh, yeah, there was, by the way, they choose to forget. Peter says it. They choose to forget. A flood came once, but by the way, there's a fire coming that's going to burn the whole world up. Every single achievement, every single thing, gone forever the only thing that matters is that i live for the lord so i just want to read some verses i just want to read just a few quick more verses here that uh, that i need to bring in to tie together so just please don't don't check out yet i have a few more things to say um the lord says here in second peter chapter three and i, and I what i'm just speaking is from that but we don't have time to read it all but he just says he says, I, I want to remind you, 2 Peter 3, verse 3, that scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. We know that. Who has seen verse 3 in this time? Right? We've got the scoffers mocking the truth. I mean, Christianity is a dying religion. It is. Just statistically, I'm not saying it is. Christ is alive, but statistically... My generation and the generations that are coming up are the scoffers and mockers of Christianity more than ever in all time as far as at least this nation is concerned, right? Some of the older ones, when you grew up and you said the name God, you weren't confused which God you were talking about. There was only one God. Maybe you didn't like him, but when everybody said GD something, you knew which God was damning it. I mean, I'm being blunt here, but right? But now it's like, well, which God? And for that matter, I'm God. For that matter, there is no God. Everything's God. 
I don't know, or just start making it up as we go along. So we've come to that time of scoffing and mocking, following desires, but there you go. See, there's what it is. The Bible says, what would happen in the last times? What do we just read in 2 Corinthians? It's that he says that Christ died so that I would no longer live for my desires but his, no longer live for self but him. What is one of the signs? More and more people are living for self and not for Christ, and the devil wants to creep right into the church and bring his believers right into that category, right? Because we're living in the same world, and we're being influenced by it constantly. It's hard to help it. But he says, they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again from before the times of our ancestors. Everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And he said, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. So there is the scoffer. That's not us. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 we've heard about Jesus coming. We've got plenty of time. I've heard that before. But he says, since everything around us is going to be destroyed, that's by the fire I was just referencing. That's in the earlier verses. He says, what holy and godly lives you should live. And so, dear friends, here we go. Verse 14, while you are waiting. While I'm waiting. Who's waiting for the Lord's return? Who's still on the earth? If you're on the earth and you're a believer, then you should be waiting. <laughs> While we're waiting for these things, make every effort to be found. Living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. That's why the devil wants to get you out of peace, wants to get sin into your life, and get some blame on you. He doesn't want you waiting, because as soon as we're not waiting, and as soon as we're off, it's a slippery slope. I don't know where you're off completely, but it's a slippery, very, very slippery slope to even, I have peers that I grew up with that just completely deny him altogether. They don't want anything to do with him. He's not even God anymore. There was a Christian musician. His name was Gunger. Anybody remember him? Anyway, he used to write some of the songs you would sing, songs you would hear on Christian radio. I promise that you have heard his songs. He was a, a very influential writer for uh, the 2000s era of Christian music. Other people were, write, were singing his songs, but he's writing them. And then one day he's just like, it just doesn't make sense, and walked away from the Lord completely. Not just that he's a little backslidden, but that he doesn't believe in God at all. And that's the slippery slope. And what does it happen from? It's this, it's a very fine line, but if, when our, my desire is not 100% to please God, and that's a secondary desire, the devil will come in and just start twisting and cripple, he will try to get you, like I said, you get in these rat races, you get frustrated, whether that's with work or in the mind. In him, it was the mind. His mind began to, he said, he became an evolutionist, ultimately, and that made more sense to him. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that, but the point is the enemy wants to get Christians off. Now, I'm not talking about the world being off, the getting Christians off. And it says, you can just read in your own time, but you can read in each of the, go the Gospels. Mark 13, very quickly. Mark 13 says, we don't know the day or the hour, 
Verse 33, so stay alert, watch and pray, be on guard. Matthew 24, I encourage you, go home and read Matthew 24. It'll bring some life to you. Now, when the Lord spoke to me a couple weeks ago and just said, would you be ready if I showed up? He wasn't saying I'm coming again. He was just saying, what if I wanted to use your life today? Would you be ready for me to use you? If I wanted to come and just spend time with you, would you make time for me? And then I began to meditate for today's sermon. And so I'll just close with this, that it's healthy Christianity to be ready for his second coming because what it does is it gets our eyes back on the focus. And this is what he says, Matthew 24, read it on your own time. But verse 42, you must keep watch. Verse 44, be ready all the time. Verse 46, he's coming with a reward. Verse 50, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. And it says, verse 51, and he will cut the servant. This is the one that says, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. You know, he's not coming back for a while. Verse 48. And it says, so he just begins to live this life. It says, verse 49, he begins beating the servants, partying, getting drunk. And then he says, and he will cut that servant to pieces, verse 51, and assign him a place with the hypocrites and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, read about the bridegrooms, I mean the the bridesmaids for the bridegroom. And some were ready and some weren't. And the Bible says that, When they finally came to the door, they got everything ready. They got prepared. The Bible says in Matthew 25, it was too late. It says that when the five bridesmaids, Matthew 25, verse 11, came, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Verse 13, so you too, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to anybody else that will read this verse or hear this verse for, for all time until he comes again. So that's us. We must keep watch, for we don't know the day or the hour of his return. You can see the same thing in Luke. We don't have the time. But you can see in Luke chapter 12, he tells them that you must be ready all the time. The moment he comes, we should be ready to open the door. Why is it healthy Christianity? Jesus told us, and why did I start with Peter? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us these verses. Do you think that Jesus missed the timing? Well, Peter warns us, don't listen to that. That's the devil. That's the devil telling you, you don't need to be worried about his coming. Why did Jesus tell it to us so severely? You could read it on your own time. And I'm telling you, you read those chapters a few times and some sobering, some of that fear that I was talking about of of who he is, that he's still God. That'll hit your heart. And what it reminded me of is this. If I know, if I'm having a big party and my parents could come home any minute, I'm probably going to clean up early, right? If they tell me they're going to come back on Sunday night and it's Friday night, the party's probably going to go on for a while. Why did Jesus tell us to be ready and then not let us know the time? What was he doing? Is it just a readiness for his second coming? Of course not, because it's been 2,000 years. So all those believers that lived, did they live in a waste? They all went to heaven never seeing him come. Jesus wasn't even telling you, 
be ready for my coming again. If you really want to see, if you really realize what he was saying, he's saying, yes, that's true. But there's a much deeper truth. He says, I want you to live in a way. It's not even that be ready that I'm coming. I want you to live in a way that's always ready. Why is that healthy? Because that keeps us sharp. It keeps our focus. If you, if you are thinking, and I was born and raised this way, and then, you know, Christianity is kind of, it, we, we just don't talk about his second coming as much anymore, and we should, because it's healthy Christianity. What it does is it, by constantly knowing the Lord could come back at any moment, then you re, being a rebellious teenager, you're like, well, I, I, I'm afraid. And you should be. You should be afraid. Because it's not afraid of God. It's afraid. You know, you're only afraid because you know what you're doing is wrong. Come on, it's obvious. And so that's healthy because knowing the Lord could show up at any moment. He could call me home. Listen, this is, this is reality. The road is a dangerous place. Diseases, I mean, wars, I don't know. Besides his second coming, there are many reasons that people die for the last 2,000 years. And it's at any moment, and it is, there is no way to plan for it. Which means I should live a way that's my desire today for the rest of this Sunday. It's not I'm going to please God tomorrow. I'm going to take the rest of today off. In everything I do, that's every thought, every word, every feeling. I mean, even feelings. I repent from feelings all the time. I feel certain ways, and I realize it's not godly. I'm starting to feel bitter, angry, whatever, jealous. Even those things, constantly giving them to the Lord because it, it is... Come on, and this is it. I'm closing, I promise. It is a healthy Christianity, but I'm, I, I'm also making you this plea. You will be happier. And it's, my, it's not my desire to make you happy. It's my desire to give you truth. But I promise you, you will be happier if you do it God's way, if we live this way. Because then at the end of the day, I feel like, man, I didn't get anything done, but I know the Lord. I love the Lord. I praised him, speaking to this person, blessing this person. But in the natural, I feel like a waste and a failure. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's all right, because this world's getting burned up, and I know that I know the Lord, and we'll be together forever. It gives us a lot of joy, doesn't it? A much deeper joy than the weight of this world. Amen. We just thank you, Jesus that you are in this room right now. I thank you, Lord, you are in these words, that they're not just words, but you are in them. And I thank you, Lord, let them be good seed in good ground in our hearts, that we become a tree of life, Lord, for ourselves and for others to eat of the fruit. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Bless you.